Okay, I, I don't know why my my computer this this fuzzy wuzzy doesn't work very well. But uh, that says walking in the spirit part two, the strategy. <laughs> you see it? Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's written with invisible ink. <laughs> okay. okay, we're talking about walking in the spirit. And we're talking about it in the context of warfare, because in one sense it is spiritual warfare. All of you are young in the Lord, and the Lord has given you a lot of grace to grow and to learn about Him. But you know, the Christian life in the end is a noble fight, which means you need to keep advancing forward, walking in the Spirit. If you just quit, you start going backwards. And so there's a warfare, as Paul tells Timothy. We looked at these, of course, last time. It's part of a larger cosmic warfare where the, uh, where the Lord is overcoming the devil and all of his angels, but he's looking for those saints who will stand strong in the Lord and overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And he's, he's looking for that in this day. And we know the victory is assured and all things will be put under Jesus' feet. And if you look there at Romans 16, even the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Man, No, it's the matter here. Well, what kind of a thing is that? Huh? Is it very old? You want to plug mine in? How about if we take a break for a minute? I, I, I know we're we're late, but we're not going anywhere. Uh, I got you trapped. That rebellion. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> so we're picking up right where we picked off here. In the meanwhile, on Earth, the battle rages. There's the 300 men. That's you. Look at uh, look how buff. Look at the six packs. Oh, it's really something. And you are going to be in this battle, serving the Lord all your days. The warfare we're looking at this weekend is this matter of spirit versus the flesh. This is our internal warfare. And it's very important that we win this battle because it has to do with the bride being prepared for the husband. Last time we looked at two things uh, we need to know before going into battle, namely who the enemy is, and we need to know the weapons of our warfare. And even though you're young in the Lord, I think this is the most important part, really. Uh, we, we said that the enemy was, of course, the flesh. And it says there in uh, verse 17 of Galatians, the flesh Wars against the spirit. The spirit wars against the flesh. These are in constant opposition. The spirit does not like that which comes out of the flesh. It's corrupt. It's just corrupt. Everything that comes out, even good works of the flesh, there's a corruption in it. There's, there's self in it. My dad was a psychiatrist for most of his life. Then he got saved at 50 years old. And he testified to me that for his life as a psychiatrist, he was helping others for his own self-righteousness. I don't know if you understand that. But you see, that's not pleasing to the Lord. I mean, we're doing good for mankind, okay. And we're doing it because there's uh, something for us in it. But the flesh wars against the Spirit and keeps us from being free. But when Jesus saved us from our sins, you see, before that, we... If you're not a Christian, you can only live by the flesh. If you're not a Christian, and you're here this weekend, you can only live by the flesh, by your own natural capabilities. 
But once you get saved, He not only frees us by, uh, from our sins by His precious blood, but He deals with our flesh by the cross. You see, there's two things that don't please God. First is sin. There's a separation between man and God because of sin. But the precious blood of Jesus is taking care of our sins. But now there's a second problem. And that's our flesh. And our flesh is against God. It's, it because, why is it against God? Because our flesh demands of us being number one. That's always the end of flesh. I am number one. And if that's the case then you don't recognize that the Lord is number one and you have a fight on your hands with Him. So how does that flesh get dealt with? Thank God, by the power of the cross. So there's two very important lessons that we'll see how that works out tonight. So now, as Christians, we can walk in the Spirit and find victory over the flesh, that old ugly flesh over there. Uh, he chained us and bound us, but now we're being set free. And now, as Christians, we've been given some powerful weapons. Listen to what 2 Corinthians says. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. There's a divine power that will destroy the works of the flesh. And so we ended last time by saying this. These three things are so, so important for a Christian. Do you want to serve the Lord? Do you love Him? Do you want to walk in Him? Do you want to know His life and His salvation and His grace? These three things are so important. A noble soldier believes the Word of God and walks in the truth of the Word. By the fact of the Word we walk. That is to say we walk by faith and not by feeling. The Spirit of God is also our resource. We need to ask Him to fill us with Himself and to indwell us and to speak to us and to lead us by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who will overcome the lusts of the flesh. And the third thing so important in our young Christian life is coming under the throne of Christ every day and presenting our bodies to Him and the members of our bodies as servants of righteousness. It's like soldiers. And we're checking in every day and we're standing up in parade, you know, when they come and gather in the morning and they take roll call. And there you are, standing there, saying, Lord, I'm ready. Now, now we want to look at that third aspect, the strategy for victory over the flesh. Now, brothers and sisters, could I just say a word before I, I begin in this uh, new section? And here it is. I, I'm sorry, but for most of you, you will not now understand these things. Now, it's this committee here in Flushing, these uh, young people, who decided to do this whole thing of walking in the Spirit and it's a very deep subject. And so uh, uh, we do it simply just by walking by faith. But there's, I'm going to talk about the deeper aspects tonight. And it's probably more for your, the older people here. Like old people, you know, like a freshman in high school. You may understand. But some of this you'll understand. But some of you will be a little confused by it. And so I say this. Believe the Word of God. Walk by the Spirit. Let Jesus be your Lord in your daily life and you will learn all of these lessons that we talk about tonight. Okay? Here's our first strategy then. Walk by faith. Alright? We set our heart to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now we're poking the flesh. 
And it seems like as we begin to walk, that the world, the flesh, and the devil, those are our three opponents, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil, and maybe uh, your, your brother, <laughs> but whatever. But it seems like we have the victory, and these things are in retreat. As a young Christian, it seems like the flesh doesn't bother us. And it's true. First John says, you are, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You don't have to be worldly. There's a greater power in you. A power that puts you in Christ. And not in the world. And 1 John 5, 4 is a wonderful promise. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world. Our faith. Believe the word of God. Walk by the Spirit. Stand under the throne. These are wonderful, victorious things. Now when we sin, thank God we know if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So, so as we walk along, you know, we stumble, we make mistakes, of course we do. And we ask the Lord to forgive. And you know something? His precious blood. We're forgiven of our sins and we're even cleansed from the unrighteousness. What a wonderful grace this is. Our sins are taken care of. So we keep walking. We don't stop. If you sin, confess it and get back walking. Don't just mull around about it for a long time, you see. And we're able to gain the victory in our young Christian life, I think. And for many of you, maybe not everybody. You know, some people become Christians and all their lives they deal with the grosser sins. They have a hard time getting over uh, uh, drunkenness, getting over sexual lust. A lot of Christians who are unfaithful. You know, you hear pastors in the news and priests who are abusing children. And many of them are Christians, but because of their carnality on, those lo on the bodily sins, they can't seem to conquer them. But thank God if we walk seriously with the Lord, seriously with the Lord is the key word there. We can overcome most of our bodily uh, temptations and bodily lusts, you see. As, as it makes reference in Ephesians 4.22, in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Oh, a man without Christ gets lustier and lustier and more deceived and more corrupt. It's a terrible life. But you gain victory. But you'll find at a certain point. And here's the interesting thing. It's the point where you want to follow the Lord and serve the Lord and you love the Lord. So you ask for that song. Oh Lord, listen to our hearts. We love you. And we do. But we find that our soul continues to sin because we continue to act independently of the Spirit and that is called the flesh. So you remember what Paul said to the Corinthians he said, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. For you're still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? There's a good definition of what it means to walk in the flesh. To walk like mere men. To walk like your friends at school. That's walking in the flesh. Why? Because you're making your own decisions and all of that kind of stuff. And look at Mr. Fle Carnal. By the way, carnal and flesh. Carnal is just the Latin, from the Latin word that means flesh. Sometimes they say carnal Christian. Sometimes they say fleshly Christian. Same thing. It's a Christian who's walking by their own strength, 
making their own decisions without reference to God and walking independently. Therefore, it's possible to be a Christian and still be carnal because it's all about you. And if it's all about you, then you're carnal. Now listen. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were carnal Christians. In Romans 7, Paul shares about the stage in his life when he saw how carnal he was. Even though he's a Christian, what was he trying to do? He's trying to be perfect by his own strength. He's trying to keep all the laws. He's trying to witness to everybody. He's trying to do everything in his own strength. And he came to the place where he said, wretched man that I am, I can't do it. He, as a Christian, lived a carnal life. Now, many carnal Christians have a great desire to serve God. But they do it their own way. And eventually, they'll be caught up in that, you see. And, and baby Christians, why is a baby Christian, I mean, like Paul said to the Corinthians, I couldn't speak to you like mature people because you're like babes. Now, baby Christians, they only know how to live the way they used to live. They don't know how to live by the Spirit yet. They're going to they're gonna have to learn that there's another source of life within them, but they don't know it yet. And so I'm a Christian, but I still make my own decisions. I still do what I want to do because I know what's best and I'm self-confident and all that stuff. That's baby stuff. See? And so baby Christians are carnal, as Paul says. Now here's what happens when we're carnal Christians. With time, our head gets puffed up. Our self-life becomes inflated with success, self-righteousness, and deception. Just like this picture here of the ego meter. And you can see how big the shadow is of the doctor. Even though he's only five foot two. But he thinks he's a big guy. He knows everything. And many Christians, they think, oh, I am so much better than those crummy Christians over there. And this kind of pride starts to, arrogance starts to seep in, you see. And now, of course, it's helped by the fact that when you go to school, what do they tell you at school? You need to achieve. You need to be good. And then you are good, and you get, some of you even get A's. There's an old famous romantic song. You go to my head, there is nothing like making an A. To think you're the cat's pajamas. Now, you don't talk about cat's pajamas anymore, but you see what, what it means. As you think you're pretty smart, don't you? I'm better than 99% of the people in the percentile. I took the test that showed I was in the 99th percentile. Of course, you don't tell your, your, your parents that that means you're at the bottom, but <laughs> nevertheless, you see, we get inflated. Now we think we're hot stuff. You can't help it. When you live for yourself, you pump yourself up. School pumps you up. Parents pump you up. Jobs pump you up. Even the church says, Oh, what a good little boy. Oh, you're such a wonderful child. Pump, 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 pump. And so we become carnal. And carnal Christians, they start to shallow out. You know, they used to pursue the Lord, study the Word, be humble, be deep, but now look how shallow they are. Chit-chat, gossip, gossip, back and forth. There's the guy on the left. He's actually in debt. He's picky. He's drinking. He's moody. He's looking at the chick saying, wow, she's pretty. 
And she's looking at him and saying, oh man, he looks rich. He's actually poor and he's in debt. But you see, she's selfish and vain and sloppy and religious and likes to spend money. That's total shallowness. And who is that? That's 90% of the people you meet, isn't it? Ay, ay, ay. But don't let it be you. But unfortunately, it is. That's what we mean by walking in the flesh. So in Corinth, Paul had a real problem. You know why? Because Paul was a humble apostle who started the church. And now there's a bunch of proud people in there say, you know what? I know better than Paul. I think I'm better than Paul anyway. And I think Peter's better than Paul. Let's have Peter come here. Let's not have Paul come here. They get this big fight over who's beggar, who's best, who's this, who's that. Paul says, why are you looking at the outward man? Ah, there is something fleshly that we do. Looking at the outward man. So, either we get pumped up or we become defeated. Because our flesh grows more and more and we get tripped up by some sin that we can't get over. We, we, we stop doing some of the worst things, but there's some things we just can't seem to get victory over. Pride, we can't help it. We even say, oh God, I know I'm the best person in the world, but make me humble. <laughs> some, some people, they're saved, but they have such a problem with anger, they just flip a switch. I don't know what goes wrong, and they've been a Christian for years. They still have that problem. Fear, lust. Some guys, some girls, they just can't get past lust. They're on the Internet. They're doing wrong things. They're watching wrong things. They know it. They keep saying they won't, and that just makes them want to do it more. Some people are so jealous of anybody. Anybody who shows anything to jealous, they want to tear them down. You know. And what we do is feed the flesh. There it is. Okay, I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to lust. And meanwhile, you're feeding the old lust flesh there. He's chomping away. You're feeding it with opportunities. Every time the world entices you in that direction, you say, hmm, maybe I'll just take a little bite. This can't be habit-forming. Oh, yes, it is. And so our carnal life leads us sometimes to this defeat that happens. So we start walking by faith, and we come to a crisis in the road, and it's called the next stage of strategy, which is the undoing. Now, how many of you have had an undoing? Don't raise your hand. I don't know how many of you have. You see, that's why I'm saying this is something. Store it up. Think about it. Talk to the Lord about it. You'll see. It, it, it happens. Now, what does God use to make us aware that we're bound in carnality and the flesh with no way out? We thought we could do it. So the typical thing is this, right? A Christian becomes a Christian and pretty soon they think they can live the Christian life. I have the strength to live the Christian life. So the Lord says, okay, here's some laws. Keep them. And that's what happened to Paul. He looked at the law and said, I can do it. I can do it. And so the, 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 he said, Paul said in his own testimony, he said, so the law said, don't covet. And as soon as it said, don't covet, I coveted. And I died. And I saw it. I don't want it, but I did it. Or as he says here in these verses in Romans 7, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand. 
for I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Paul began to see his bondage to carnality as a Christian by the law. Now you say, well, I don't do the law. Oh, yes, you do. Everybody is in bondage to the law. That's how we discover we're carnal. Now, I have to explain it. See, the law is a little bigger than the Ten Commandments. So, hang on to your seatbelts. Paul found that the more he tried, the more he sinned, and the worse he felt. I know that nothing good dwells me uh, dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. I'm willing to do it, I just can't do it. The good that I want, I can't do it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who'll set me free from the body of this death? Now, Paul is not just talking religion. Paul was is, is sharing this moment in Romans chapter 7 where he was a desperate man. Why? It would be easy if you didn't love the Lord Jesus. But Paul loved the Lord Jesus with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And yet he found, even as he tried to serve the Lord, he was held up and bound by his carnality to the point he, he, he became discouraged. What do I do? I, I, I'm trying, but there's nothing good that dwells in me. Have you come to that conclusion yet? Of course you haven't. You still think there's a lot of good things in you. So you use them. And eventually, uh, you'll see that the things turn sour when they're works of the flesh. Now, not everything in you do you use as the power of the flesh. And God uses many of us as young Christians. So don't, don't get too introspective here. But you'll begin to see God will expose by some kind of a law on your life and bring you to such an experience. God let Paul fail. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God never lets somebody fail. Paul should have walked in the victory. He believed in the Word of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was his Lord. He walked and served. How could God let him fail? But Paul, God let Paul fail in his walk until he saw the law. There was a law within him. Ah, that was what was driving him to fail. What's that law within him? It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not in him. Flesh has a law which must be exposed. What is it? See, this is the law that has us in bondage. And so all you need is something external to say, do this, do that, do this, do that. Then the internal law of the flesh is what you discover that you're, uh, do, uh, you're following. What is this law? Here it is. The law of independent self. The law that says, I. That's the law. I can do it. I have the power. I have the brains. I am smarter than the rest. I know what's best. I am always right. So when Paul is sharing this testimony in Romans chapter 7, how many times did he use the word I or me? What do you think? One chapter, Romans chapter 7, I think it's got like 24 verses in it, 25 verses. How many times did he say I? Right. 40 times. 
Now that is somebody bound in the flesh. I try to do this, and I know that it's right, but I'm doing what's wrong. And I can't figure it out because I know the law is good, but I'm not doing what's good. And then I try that, but then that, that doesn't work either. Oh, I am a miserable man. I am terrible. Oh, I'm just a worm. Oh, I'm a complete failure. But even when you say you're a complete failure, still I, 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 me, 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 I am the terrible wretch. I am the terrible wretch. Me, 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 me. So a lot of Christians walk around like this. Oh, I'm just a wretched Christian. And they are. (laughs) But as long as they're still self-centered about it, they're still bound by the law of I. That's That's the law of the flesh. The law of I. And how big is your I? It's huge. It's huge. You may have an intellectual eye, you may have an emotional eye, you may have a willpower eye, but you have an eye that looks around at everybody else. Let's say you have good willpower. You look at everybody and say, ah, what's the matter with that person? That chubby can't, can't help themselves. They just eat. They're not disciplined like me. What do you mean? They can't memorize the Bible. I can memorize the Bible. What's the matter with everybody else? I am the best. You see what I'm saying? All of that is I, I, I. Yeah. And that's why, in the end, this is my tombstone. Rest in peace. Here lieth I. And here was my motto. I tried. (laughs) There's Christians who who have lived for years. And they're just... This is the carnal Christian graveyard. There's so many Christians just walking around like zombies in the graveyard. I tried. I tried. I'm trying. Are you crucified with Christ? I'm trying. I'm trying. It's a miserable state to be in. But as long as it's centered around the eye, it's not going anywhere. You see, there's something wrong that's got to be exposed. It's the eye that's got to be exposed. Oh, my goodness. Paul puts, makes an interesting statement here in Romans 7, 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear the fruit of death. Romans 8, 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death. Here's the deal. Uh, I, I read Watchman Nee say this in one place. He said this. It's like we keep trying to deal with sins. You know, we are so... We are so preoccupied with sins. Oh, sins, sins, sins. Oh, it's terrible. I, I sinned again. Oh, it's terrible. And, and so I'm going to pick that sin off. And Lord, forgive me of that sin. Oh, okay, it's good. But the problem is, another one. Another oh, one. The problem is the tree is the flesh. And as long as that tree is alive and working, you're going to be bearing fruit all the time. So just keep picking the fruit, confessing it, and deal with it. Stick it under the rug because another one's coming in a, within, within two weeks on the same tree limb. You see, God deals with the flesh. We're preoccupied with the sins. So we're always saying, oh, sin, 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 sin. We're always so concerned, oh, I, I know I've sinned against God. Oh, i got to get it right. Oh, God, forgive me my sins. And God says, okay, now that's 120 times on that one. Now, do you realize there may be some flesh behind it? No, 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 there's no flesh. I'm a good person, but I don't know why I sin. Oh, you haven't seen the law of the eye yet. And so it goes. Now, the main battleground in this whole episode of undoing is the mind. 
Listen to this amazing scripture here of Paul's in Second Corinthians. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every lofty high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What could exalt itself against the knowledge of God? Wait a minute. Paul is talking about in your life and mine. What? You're a Christian. You love Jesus. Didn't you just sing the worship songs tonight? How could there be strongholds? But there you are. And in your mind, there's little uh, stronghold parapets up here. And you say, aha, this one right here. Ah, I got a pretty high opinion of myself. More high than I have an opinion of Jesus in that area. So I'm going to go my way. And we have a, a fortress around our brain that God's going to have to break up and break into. Strongholds. Imaginations. High things. Until, listen to the end. Until God can bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Oh my goodness. What a victory that would be. Here's a thought. And you know what? As long as you're alive, you're going to have thoughts. You know, like this. You just sit there one day and, 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 and a thought comes to you. Kill the guy next to you. Okay. Now, are you going to act on it? You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a real experience some people have. They get out into a dangerous place and suddenly they hear a voice so loud and clear, it's the devil himself, who says, jump! You know, they're on a ledge or somewhere, you know, looking over Grand Canyon. And there's a real impulse. Don't do it, of course. But you know what I'm saying? There's always some thoughts. But now, can we take those thoughts captive to Christ or do those thoughts captivate us? Ah, you see, there's a great battle going on here of these strongholds, you see. And a stronghold, a high imagination, however your translation says it, it's anything that boasts. Anything. Anything you can do. I can do better. I can do anything better than you. Because I'm carnal. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. <laughs> now, I want to make a clarification at this point. Because, because we need to understand this. This undoing only is experienced by people serious about walking with the Lord. Now, the fact of the matter is, if you're a casual believer, a casual believer is not going to try to really walk with the Lord. If it's convenient, he walks with the Lord. If everybody else is walking, he walks with the Lord. But he's not going to do battle. He's not going to take up his cross. He's not going to deny himself. No way. If it's easy flowing downstream, he goes with it. If it's a problem, he doesn't go with it. He's casual. And if he's casual, he's not going to experience this undoing because he's not trying. As I said last night, those who seriously believe the Word of God and seriously want the Holy Spirit and seriously live under the throne, these are the people who experience the frustration of loving Jesus so much and not being able to serve Him adequately because our flesh is in the way. But a person who's casual, they just live for themselves. So what? They blow it off. But those who take the word, the spirit, the throne, and the walk seriously, they go through this undoing in some way or another. And I, I hope, you know, in Manhattan, in my apartment where I live, you know, we have some meetings there. 
And I think I have 35 little short biographies on the wall. And I've told all of the saints who come and gather, you should read every one of those 35. And I'll bet they're, they're missionaries, they're famous people, watchmen knee, people you know, people you don't know, doctor missionaries, people from all over the world. Every one of them had such an experience because they were serious about the Lord. And they had to come to this liberation, really, you see. It's the way of the cross that this person's going through. And it's what's going to lead to spiritual growth. Now, this is the real way of the cross. There's a conflict inside of you. What you want to do, you can't do, and so on and so forth. And this gets down to vital issues in our lives. A moment comes. Here's the next part of the strategy. After the undoing comes the moment. The crossover moment. The exchange moment. The, 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 the new moment. For those of you who are fancy, the strategy is knowing. A moment comes when the Christian sees the other half of their salvation. What? The first half is Jesus died for us, right? The love of God is demonstrated toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The second half is that Jesus died as us. And when he died back there 2,000 years ago, you died with him. What? But that is the key to uh, getting victory over the flesh. What does this mean to you? I've been crucified with Christ. La, la, la. Wait, I have been crucified. When Christ was crucified, I was crucified with Christ? I have been crucified with Christ? You mean me, Dana? That's the realization I'm talking about. Romans 6, 5, if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death. Colossians 3, 3, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Hey, I don't feel dead. But if you really pursue the Lord, you'll discover one day you're dead. And you keep trying to fix somebody who's dead. The Lord's not going to fix something that's dead. And you suddenly realize, well, what am I trying to do here? I'm trying to reform myself, make myself better, refine myself, make myself a little better Christian by my own strength. What am I doing? I'm dead. I can't do this stuff. What a moment. You, you remember I watched Mani ran down the street at his moment. And he knocked on all his brothers and sisters' doors and said, Hey, 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 Charlie, I'm dead, I'm dead. And then he ran to the next guy, Hey, I'm dead, I'm dead. Now, what, was he crazy? No, he saw. He saw. But first you've got to be frustrated with who you are. First you've got to be exposed as the I <laughs> before you understand the good news. What good news this is, huh? I'm dead. That's such good news. I'm dead. Wow. Takes a load off, you know. What was heard at salvation is realized as a fact in our experience. Now, this is such an important verse. We're just going to read it and go on. But listen to this, please. If we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, that means when Jesus died, we were united with him in his death. Certainly also we shall be united in the likeness of his resurrection. Because that's the other part of the good news. You're dead and you're alive. You died in Jesus and now you've risen in Jesus. Ah, 
Knowing this. Now notice how Paul says knowing this. And here we're talking about a knowing that is a seeing. A knowing that is a, it's an aha. It's a knowing that's a eureka. It's a knowing that's, some, a light bulb turns on. And what is this knowing? That our old man was crucified with him 2,000 years ago. I mean, you see, when God does an eternal act, it's not restricted to time. When I died with him 2,000 years ago, that was an eternal act. When Jesus died on the cross, he took my life with him. He took my old man with him, and that died. The old man was crucified in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Now, we still have a body, but, but it's influence and corrupting us. No longer has the influence. And he, for he who has died is free from sin. So I, I always like to picture it like this. I'm sorry, I know this is very simple, but this is the way I see it. See? So, so here you are. If you understand this thing right here, here's what happens. The devil knocks at your door and says, hey, I want you to sin. Come on out and sin today. You know, it's like your friend asks you to come out and play. Hey, come on out and sin. I got a nice sin for you today. Come, come on, come, come on out. And you say, well, gee, you know what? I've always liked to sin that way. I especially like that kind of sin cake. It's better than Brazilian cake. But... <laughs> Unfortunately, I have a problem. I'm dead. Now, I can't do anything about it. I, I hear you talking. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. But I'll tell you what. I'll go get Jesus, and we'll decide whether we should go out and play with your little sin cake. Well, guess what? You're not going out. The devil leaves you alone. Because you just discovered something. The devil can talk to you and tempt you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do this, do this, do this, do this. All you want. You say, yeah, I know those words. Oh, yeah, they're familiar. Oh, yeah, they always used to tempt me. But hey, I'm dead. So you, 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 you hear something, and then what you do is you take that thought and make it captive to the Lord. Say, Lord, what do you want to do about this? You don't try to fight it yourself. Say, Lord, here, here, what do you want to do about it? Because my old man is dead. And now I live in you, so I don't do anything without you telling me what to do. So here we go. Which leads to the next stage. Having seen, now you reckon. Of course, this is such an old word, but I, I still like it the best of any word. It's an old King James word, uh, and it's so important. See, it's right there in Romans 6.11. You see it down the bottom there? Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. In other words, now this isn't this. Reckon isn't, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm dead to sin. That's not what reckoning means. What it means is, because I realize that my old man has been crucified with Christ, now I can act on it. Now I can act on the facts. See, that's an accounting term. You don't make up stuff. You reckon the books. You deal with the reality. Uh, Romans 6, 4. Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. There's a new life. There's a new man. The old man's dead, but you're not dead. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But now who's living? <laughs> the new man. Okay? You know, Paul has several times in, the, in his epistles, the old man and the new man. And he says this. So here, here's how we begin to walk, reckoning on this reality. Now, if you don't see that you're dead with Christ, then you can't reckon on it. But here's how it works itself out once you see that. Number one, you can put off the old man. Why? Because he's dead. 
and you can put on the new man. Notice I just took a little bits of these uh, three verses in Rome, Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Ye put off the old man, which is corrupt, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man. So here you go. Here's the old man. You can put him off. You, take, you get up in the morning, you take him off. And you can put on the new man. But do you notice what the key is? The key is that middle verse, you see. You've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means the deepest level of your understanding in your mind. You've got Something's got to be clear to you. Hey, my old man is dead and my new life is in Christ. My old man's dead, my new life is in Christ. Now I can put off the old man, put on the new man. Because I see it, I see it, I see it with the spirit of my mind. I've been renewed to see it. It's my reality. I'm not walking in, I hope. I'm not walking in, I fake it by faith. I walk in something that I've seen. What a wonderful experience this is. So first of all, you put off the old man, put on the new man. Number two, the new man sets his mind on the spirit. Now some of you have runaway minds, right? Your mind just runs here and runs there and runs there and runs there. You can't settle it down. But you'll see, Christ begins to take your mind and says, set it there. Now I want you to set it there. Now I want you to memorize a scripture. Now I want you to pray about something. And the Lord begins to set your mind according to the Spirit's leading. It says wonderfully there, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. You've died. Why are you setting your mind on things of the earth? Your life is hid with Christ in God. So the new man can set his mind to the obedience of Christ. Setting your mind. What a wonderful thing. And number three. And led by the Spirit, the new man overcomes flesh's downward pull. The flesh is with you. It's pulling you down. But you can overcome that by the law of the Spirit of life that overcomes that downward pull. Listen to what it says here in Colossians 3.5. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body dead. Consider this. Reckon it. The members of your earthly body dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, idolatry. How can you do that? How can, what's the therefore? In Colossians 3.5 he's saying therefore consider the members. Why is he saying therefore? Here it is. Because in verse 3 of Colossians, he said, For you are dead. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Now you're living a new life. And this person sees and knows this fact. I'm dead. In the old man, I'm living now in Christ Jesus, the new man. So who is the new man? Who, who is the new man? It's not you. It's Christ in you. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, that means in his human body, he lives by faith in the Son of God. Now the new you, and from the, now here's the point, you see. From the moment you and I were born again, we were a new man. But we don't realize it. Because we live out of the old man until the old man becomes a drag and a frustration. 
And when we realize that old man's been crucified and the Lord's not working on him anymore, he's got a new man. That's Christ in you. That's your new life. That's your new combo. It's not, you see, it's, it, it's your life, it's your body, it's your mind, it's your emotions, it's your will, it's your spirit. But instead of I being at the center of it, Christ is at the center of it. That's the new man. That's what we need to learn to live in. So, just a couple more things here, uh, because I know this is something that is quite uh, uh, perhaps uh, deep. Here's the bad news. Let's tell it straight out. As long as you live in your earthly bodies, you'll be tempted to act and think like the old man. Why? You're driven by habit. It's, 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 it's default. If you don't consciously put off the old man, and you set your mind on the flesh by default. In other words, you wake up in the morning, and instead of taking your life as Christ, your new creation in Him, uh, and, and you, you take him as your life and you begin to walk that way. If you don't do that, almost guarantee you're going to have a bad attitude when you get up in the morning. That's the old man. He, he's right. He's wait. He's just waiting around. He's just you know. It's that. It's that fleshly attitude. It's a, I don't deserve this. I need something better. Uh, this and that. You know. That's the bad news. You can't kill the flesh. Now some Christian groups believe. If you have a special experience, you can annihilate the flesh. Then it has no more power over you. Well, I don't know, but I wake up every morning and, and uh, I just get out of bed and there's the flesh waiting for me. Ah, oh, boy. Oh, boy. That knee's really hurting today. Oh, boy. Oh, look outside. Look rotten outside. Oh, oh. He's just waiting. He says, good morning, Dana. No, he doesn't say that. He says, bummer, Dana. Got bad news. It's going to be a tough day. So, so if I don't put on the new man, deep, that's my default right there. That's how you can. That's why you have maybe Christian parents who love the Lord and everybody at church admires them, but you know they stink at home. That's because at home, that's when you see people what what they're what they're wearing today. The old man and the new man. You know, they walk in by the flesh, or they walk in by the spirit. They're living under the Spirit's control. They're living by the eye control, you see. So, that's the bad news. Now, the good news. It's the Spirit of God who enables you to overcome the flesh. Now, you say to yourself, how could I ever overcome the flesh? I got such a problem with anger. I got such a problem with fear. I got such a problem with pride. I got such a problem with lust. I, got I can never do it. That's right. But now, the Spirit of God can do it. Don't forget what it says in Galatians 5. It's the Spirit, capital S, that wars against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit. Now let me ask you this question. Here's the Holy Spirit and here's your flesh and they're warring against each other. Who's going to win? It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> your flesh can't win. But there'll be that striving there until the Holy Spirit puts that flesh down and you recognize what's going on. So listen to these wonderful verses here. Romans 8.13. Now listen. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Now that's not just talking about you're going to die and be put in the grave. That's talking about you're going to live spiritually dead today if you're living by the flesh. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Now, there is some cooperation going on there, if by the Spirit. Now, who's putting to death the deeds of the body? 
Romans 8.13. Who is putting to death the deeds of the body? If by the Spirit. The Spirit puts to death the deeds of the body. But wait a minute. You. If by the Spirit you are putting to death. Oh, wait a minute. It's you, but it's the Spirit. Ah, there's a cooperative thing going on here. Spirit doesn't do anything till you tell Him to do it. Till you ask Him to do it. Till you rely on Him to do it. Trust Him to do it. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. They're being led by the Spirit of God. Well, just uh, two more things to say. And the more you're filled with this indwelling one, this precious Holy Spirit, who is Christ in you, the more you're filled with this indwelling one, the more fruit is born. As Paul says, but Christ lives in me. John 15 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Oh, listen, when, when you're walking in the Spirit and living by His life, you're, it's the vine and the branches and the fruitfulness involved. When you're walking in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh, it's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, the song that I just sang. This is our life. This is our fruit. Now, this fruit is born because it, it, there's a life in you that's producing the fruit. Just like there was a life of flesh that was producing sins, now there's a life of the Spirit in you that's producing these kinds of fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. I hope you see that. And finally, I just want to pull it back to the beginning. And this walk in the Spirit is preparing the bride. Because those things that you're doing now in your life is what's preparing the bride's garments for the wedding feast. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Can you believe that this whole huge cosmic thing about the Lord Jesus coming back and everything depends on you walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh? And so you're going to have to do battle. A noble battle. Don't fight your brothers and sisters. Do the noble battle of fighting that war within. Take hold of the life of the Lord Jesus within you. Begin to understand what that means to walk. A baby Christian can't understand the difference between soul and spirit. But when you walk in the Lord a little bit, you can understand the difference. And the Lord wants us to live by the Spirit, not just by our soul life. It's a warfare. Brothers and sisters, I don't know anybody who, who's made a hundred on this walk. Paul himself admits it. Peter walked with the Lord and still made mistakes. Still preferred people by, the, by his flesh to just accepting the Gentiles as well. I, you know, we'll all do this for the rest of our life. But we're walking upwards by the Spirit, overcoming the works of the flesh. There is a fight and uh, there's no denying it. But this is our calling. This is our walk. This is our life. You want to talk about walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh? Then this is what you do. Believe the Word of God as to who you are. By the Spirit, by the Spirit's enabling you, walk by the Spirit in that knowledge of who you are. 
and under the throne of the Lord Jesus, you're going to learn so many lessons. You know, it's an interesting thing I just want to finally say. You say, why, why do we have to go through all this? Why can't we just be saved and become perfect? And, you know, and we just kind of live around here, love each other, and then we go home one day to Jesus. It's this whole warfare, flesh and spirit, that teaches you maturity. You learn mercy. You learn forgiveness. You learn patience. You learn how to come back when you've been defeated. You learn big lessons, big lessons that overcomers need to learn. And so this strife in our life is a warfare that actually grows us up. Don't be so concerned about your sins. Be concerned about that flesh that underlies that sin. The Lord wants to deal with that in our lives. And then it's a lot easier to deal, to overcome those sins once the flesh has been dealt with. Well, may the Lord help you. I know this is, this, this is uh, college stuff. And some of you aren't quite ready for college. And some of you are way past college. And uh, may the Lord help us all to walk by the Spirit. His grace is upon us. He's drawn us together for this time. Let's obey Him. Let's pray. Our Lord, we come to Thee with whom we have to do. You're the God who knows all things. You know our heart. You know our sins. You know our flesh. And still You love us so. We thank You that You've forgiven us of our sins and by Your precious blood cleansed us from them all. We can walk clean before my Lord. And in me, not one blemish does He see. And You also know about our flesh. And you've already dealt with it at Calvary. And so we've been crucified with Christ. Oh Lord, as we love you and want to walk with you and go through the frustration of disobedient self and rebellion in our inner man, oh Lord, you know, you know our hearts. You know that we love you. You know that we fall. Help us, Lord. Help us understand these things. Oh Lord, help us to see how dread the eye is and how the eye is causing so much problem. And yet, Lord, it isn't like Paul said there's nothing good in him. He said there was nothing good in his flesh. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you've made us into new men, a new creation in Christ Jesus, living by the life of Jesus, by his wonderful grace and spirit. Oh, help us to overflow and as we walk upwards and higher, learn these mature lessons that come from this kind of good, noble conflict and fight. We join ourselves in this fight that we may be ready to receive you. Welcome back, O oh Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.